Solar radiation management is an emerging set of technologies that proposes sending up airplanes into the atmosphere filled with sulfates and releasing them in order to cool down the earth. You're listening to Cooler Earth, a podcast of climate exchange. Your weekly dive into energy transitions, sustainability, environmental politics, and all things climate change. Each week, we feature special guests and in-depth discussions with your hosts, Amanda Griffiths, Ryan Maya, and Maria Virginia Olano. So broadly speaking, there are four options we currently have on the table to cope with climate change. The first is mitigation, which means changing the way we use land and energy as well as transportation. The second is adaptation, and that means how do we adapt to the change that is already baked into the system. The third is a set of proposals for carbon removal or what is called negative emissions technology. And the last and newest one is climate engineering solutions. These are ideas to humanly intervene in the Earth's climate systems in order to slow down the rate of warming that we're currently experiencing. So in other words, sort of playing God with the climate, making it our (laughs) puppet and manipulating it in certain ways that artificially stop climate change. Right. It almost sounds like a science fiction topic. Yep. So, and it I is think a science fiction topic. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Well, now it's a science reality. And I think that's why it's such an alluring topic to people because all of these technological advances are so interesting to look at. And the possibility of them working is such a miracle solution to what seems to be such a, a large scale problem. It's such a simple fix and we don't have to have any behavior changes, any lifestyle changes. There could just be this silver bullet that saves us. Yeah. But it's also really scary. I don't know about you guys, but <laughs> right. it sounds very scary to me, this prospect that if it works, wonderful, but what if something goes wrong? Exactly. Yeah, you're really gambling with the uh, extent to which scientists, researchers, know the consequences of implementing these technologies. Uh, So, for example, uh, making the atmosphere more reflective. Um, The atmosphere is a very dynamic global system, and with that, those aspects, it becomes difficult to know exactly how greatly changing the atmosphere, how big those impacts will be, how positive they'll be, and how negative they can be. Right. And so even though this sounds like a great technological feat, it turns out that the technology on the table isn't that complex. The whole basic principle is to increase the Earth's albedo. This is a measurement of a body's reflectiveness. And so that being, if we're able to keep some of the solar radiation that comes into the Earth to reflect it back into space, we would somewhat reduce the amount of warming that we see in the planet. And the concept of albedo and and kind of utilizing resources to increase the reflectivity of Earth's surface isn't a new concept. I mean, we look at cities painting rooftops white or doing rooftop gardens. And so white roofs reflect more solar radiation so it can help with um, heating and cooling costs. And rooftop gardens, those plants absorb a lot of that energy so you don't have to turn your AC on as much. So it helps with energy bills and also helps minimize the urban heat island effect. And in Los Angeles, uh, we saw a sort of 
mini albedo project going on where they're painting the pavements white right. to mm -hmm. actually really cool. reflect the sunlight. Dark pavement absorbs more energy and, and makes the, the ground hotter and makes the surrounding climate hotter, whereas, you know, painting them white reflects all that energy away. But when you talk about this on an atmospheric scale, you know, it's a lot different. It's not right. just replacing right. some roads. And the, the most widespread idea uh, around this new emerging technology is the concept of solar radiation management, or SRM. That is proposing that we put aerosols into the outer atmosphere, specifically sulfates. So the basic idea being when a volcano erupts, for instance, we know that a lot of sulfates are released into the atmosphere, mm -hmm. and that has shown to cool down the Earth. We've seen big eruptions of volcanoes and those drop global temperatures. So that's where the idea comes from. But this would be a very concerted effort to put those sulfates into airplanes and spray them over the mm -hmm. outer atmosphere. But then even if that might work, those particles are going to have to come down at some point. And that would happen in the form of acid rain which carries huge public health concerns. And it is a term that most people are familiar with, but I don't think most people understand quite why acid rain is bad or exactly what those impacts are. And I researched for my undergraduate degree the impacts of acid rain in the Adirondacks, what the effects of putting lime or a more basic solution on the soil, what that would be to restore nutrient cycling in these forests because they had been so damaged by acid rain for so many years that we had to do a 10-year study to look at whether we could restore those environments back to how they were pre-acid rain. Beyond the, the photographic destruction you can see from damaged leaves and branches, years and years after you have that initial damage from acid rain, you're still looking at ecosystems that aren't incredibly healthy because they still can't cycle nutrients that they need to in order to change over every season. And that's sort of a common theme with the environmental impacts of these things like acid rain, ocean acidification. These are not issues that could be fixed with a quick solution. They have accumulated over time and correspondingly may often require solutions that require a lot of time. Whereas geoengineering, uh, as it's advocated for presently, is really framed as a solution that'll be quick, it'll be easy, it'll let us continue with the status quo. But in reality, there are a lot of negative ramifications that are being overlooked in depicting it in this way. And more on the negative consequences, a negative consequence is that there is no consequence for a lot of the other effects of carbon emissions. You're not going, uh -huh. you're, the carbon's going to stay in the ocean. That'll continue causing acidification and the death of various species, continue to have a lot of pollution in urban areas, places in China, they have cancer towns where people almost expect to get cancer because of the, the air pollution rates. So a lot of these other corollaries to climate change will not be addressed through geoengineering. Right. And beyond even unintended consequences of these technologies, there are intended consequences as well. And, and how much power a nation can mm -hmm. gain by mastering these technologies and the way humanity has behaved in the past, will those nations then use that, weaponize it, and use it against other nations? I could definitely see geoengineering being the topic of a new James Bond movie, <laughs> James Bond villain, you know, right. geoengineering scientists gone wrong. There's already a movie on that. It's called Geostorm, which is dreadful, by the way. <laughs> but it's about this. Like humanity has in the future built these satellites that completely control 
the climate and then they get hacked. Spoiler alert. <laughs> well, it, it just highlights the fear that we see around these large scale technologies and the capability they have to completely transform mm -hmm. the world in our lives. On the flip side, and we do need to talk about the possibility that we might need this. So if we focus on mitigation, which we should, technologically, we have the possibility of decarbonizing. Mm -hmm. But in order to reach those 1.5 degrees that we are aiming for, we would need to basically decarbonize in the next 10 years for us to not reach that temperature increase. The political feasibility of those social transformations is in question. I mean, how long has it taken us to even admit that climate change is a thing? So it's worth considering the fact that while SRM may not be that silver bullet, it may at some point have to be part of the solution to climate change or even be something that buys us more time to decarbonize in the way that we need to. Right. And I think what you said there as being part of the solution, that's key to the conversation too, because there's a large fear that with the hope of these technologies, you won't see those behavior changes. Right. So it's looking at, in my mind, I see so many pathways for these technologies to move forward. And, and what are the chances that they're going to move forward in a way where it benefits a large number of people, um, it's used correctly, and, and it's actually working the way that we intended to. The promise of an instant fix, that SNAP solution, is alluring to a lot of people. It is. And especially in the U.S., where we're based, we really like market mechanisms. We like capitalism. Mm -hmm. We like we trust private companies, and we think that they're the quickest, most efficient way to move forward. And so a technological fix along those lines is, is the way to go. Right. And beyond the negatives is, in my opinion, the unknowns is the fact that we really don't know. All of what has been done now has been theoretical. There hasn't been enough experimentation. And there's huge problems with experimentation because right. experimentation is basically deployment of these technologies. How and where do you do those are also problematic. But the fact that, yeah, we have no way of knowing what the long-term impacts of such meddling with the climate mm -hmm. is going to happen. And so at this point, I don't think anyone can say whether or not it will be entirely good or entirely bad. Yeah, in my mind, I see a lot of connections with possible geoengineering experiments and atomic bomb experiments in terms of we don't understand fully what the consequences are of those will be. We don't understand fully how they will impact localized regions and beyond. And are we going to look back decades from now and say, that was a horrible idea. But on the flip side, do we take the risk of inaction on the technological front if it has the possibility to be part of a way to get us to the point where we can stay within a temperature range that is livable? So to further explore this topic, we are speaking to Jenny Stevens today. She's a professor of sustainability science and policy at Northeastern University. Her research, teaching, and community engagement focuses largely on social and political aspects of renewable energy transitions and responses to climate change. She has a PhD from Caltech in environmental science and engineering and a bachelor's degree from Harvard in environmental science and public policy. Hello. Hi, Professor Stevens. Hi. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? Good. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. In the topic of climate engineering, specifically solar radiation management, you have been a critique 
of these kinds of solutions, in part because they have the potential to create very big power differentials, meaning whoever controls the technology will have the final decision on how to implement it, causing potentially negative effects on other parts of the world. Why is it so problematic and what are some of the social justice implications of these technologies? One of the concerns with this idea of engineering the planet the risks of climate change is that when we think about the actual implementation of how this is done, the Earth's systems are so complicated that it's inevitable that it would be unequal distribution of any kind of change. So, for example, if you think about the science or the models show that by injecting aerosols potentially up into the atmosphere, there could be a decrease in the average global temperature. And, you know, at a global macro level, that might sound appealing. But the reality is that if you think about what that would actually mean, it doesn't mean every place in the world would have a decrease of two degrees. The way the Earth's system is very heterogeneous, very complicated, and some places may experience more extreme weather, more extreme temperature. The challenge is that a global manipulation like this is, when you think about implementation, it's very difficult to imagine a scenario in which different parts of the world all benefit in an equal way. Is there any scenario in which you see this kind of technology almost inevitable if we are to stay below the 1.5 degrees? Because geoengineering is not going to necessarily reverse climate change, but it can give us some some time, some leeway to make those greenhouse gas reductions that are needed. So on the flip side of these scary side effects, is there a way in which it can be implemented in a right way that actually helps? Yeah, um, I mean, I think this is the heart of the controversy, that some people think that it's important and even feel a responsibility to better understand this technology because it could be critical in some scenario in the future to prevent some of the worst consequences of climate change. There's potential for this technology to reduce some human suffering. The challenge, again, with that perspective is that, again, at some macro level, that sounds like that there's definitely some positive potential there. But the, the challenge is really thinking about the governance structure and the implementation, if it were to be done, how it would be done. And if it were to be done, how would it be managed? Who would control it? Who has authority over the, everyone else? to decide what would be the ultimate, you know, how much it should be done, what parts of the world should it be, should the impacts be optimized. And so I think that's where um, the real controversy of the positive potential versus the negative risk, how do you weigh those? There's, you know, some very stark differences of opinion on to what degree this set of technologies should be researched more and should be understood more, or should we try to stay away from it as, as much as possible? One of the other risks is that what we know about technology and technological innovation is that once a technology has been developed and explored and there's a cohort of people who are committed to understanding it better, there's kind of an inherent momentum that gained from the research and the development of the technology can lead toward that, even in, in unintended ways. So 
Emerging technologies, definitely amongst those developing them, as you stated, can kind of have more of a positive bias uh, towards them. And we've seen that from blockchain development, which is really interesting and cool, except cryptocurrency, there's less traceability of that currency. With automated vehicles, we're seeing can sometimes have violent consequences, people dying. And the question that comes to my mind with these emerging technologies and geoengineering included is the question of how are we going to regulate this? How are we going to establish a legal precedent to make sure that they cause minimal bad and maximum good? So I'm wondering uh, if you've seen any developments on the policy side uh, internationally, say the UNFCCC or any other international bodies, any other governmental bodies? Yeah, so at this point, you know, this is all very preliminary, I think, and there's a small group of people who are, are exploring this. Among that community, you know, people are very aware of the challenges and the governance challenges. So there's been quite there's been quite a bit of discussion about what kind of regulations or international law or uh, might be appropriate. And so I think there's been some working groups and discussions informally about this, but it, but it but there hasn't been much yet in terms of actual regulatory system being being put in place. But there's there's definitely awareness, and several organizations are paying attention and exploring this. Another concern I've heard about geoengineering is that the promise of these technological advances will deter people from other mitigation methods and and behavioral changes because a technological fix, while you're not changing your lifestyle whatsoever, is is such alluring promise. Do you see that risk possibly happening where we put all of our eggs in the basket of this technological fix, but at the same time, we don't continue other mitigation actions that can also help and be more long-term possibly of a solution? Absolutely, yes. And I think that's probably one of the biggest risks of this technology. That's actually what a lot of my work is about, this balance between technological innovation and social innovation Mm -hmm. and behavior change and other things. And overall, with climate change over decades, we have been focusing on technology and technological approaches to changing the energy system and then now these these ideas with solar geoengineering are very technological approaches, right? And what we see, and it's very obvious and clear in the policy discourse, is that when we promote these technologies, they're often held up as, oh, we're, we are paying attention to climate change because we're studying this technology. And, and that's the extent past two decades of attempts of climate policy in the United States to focus on more research on climate science and more technological approaches to trying to mitigate climate change um, has been the priority. And without adequate, in my in my view, adequate attention to the social change, the, the behavioral changes, the changes in our assumptions about how much energy we need, right? Not how to generate the energy necessarily, but how much we actually need to have access to. So this focus on technological approaches is very directly influencing our our discourse about climate change. And it is the go-to way we've been thinking about it is to focus on the technology. And regardless of the technology, 
technological innovation to really confront climate change, we need bigger questions of lifestyle change and social change and institutional change and cultural change uh, that is related to technology, but it's a whole other category. So I think that is the biggest risk with these technologies. And we can see it. There was just a uh, congressional committee that was exploring solar geoengineering. And some of the people on the committee who were in favor of advancing solar geoengineering research are actually climate deniers. So they are people who are not advocating for any other efforts to mitigate climate change and resisting, yet they're open to and interested in for some reason. But in fact, there are people who are explicitly against every other climate mitigation strategy, yet they're interested in advancing this technology something we could elucidate from that, a lot of these people probably want to stick with the status quo in that geoengineering lets us keep on polluting and continuing with our climate negative habits uh, without really having to make a substantial change presents itself as just a patch over for everything we've done to the climate. And a lot of interests have in mind the fact that they don't really want to change what they're doing right now. But uh, from a political perspective, what we're doing right now isn't going to cut it for a lot of Pacific Island states and from a political perspective, what your thoughts are on the perspective of these people that might view geoengineering as the only fix in light of the fact that no real solution has come to the forefront on climate change. We're seeing slow developments, yet faster and faster effects of climate change. Why would a Pacific Island state or some other developing country not want geoengineering to to come and save the day? No, that's a great question. And I think part of Yeah. 
uh, shift. Uh, that's the same everywhere, and that's equally felt, and that's not the way the, the Earth systems work. So, yeah, it's a good it's a good question, and I think that's exactly the right the right question to be asking in terms of thinking about who, how are different voices going to participate in these decisions, and how are people in vulnerable situations going to be able to contribute to the global decision about whether or not something like this should be advanced and should be implemented. Well, this is a fascinating conversation and thanks again so much for your time and your insights. Great. Yeah, thank you. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to subscribe on your favorite listening platform and follow us on Instagram at Cooler Earth. New episodes air every Thursday before your morning cup of coffee. Stay tuned for next week's episode and thanks for listening. Stay cool.